we're in the midst of now on core needs. It's the belief that every single person born into this world, every single person created by God, has very deep needs in their lives. You've got them, I've got them, everyone has them. And when we can find those needs satisfied in God, our lives will thrive. I want to tell you about a time in my life, my life was not thriving. Um, it was my first year at university. I had gone uh, my first year away from home to uh, a school which is now called Tyndale uh, University and uh, College. It was a Bible college of that day. I wanted to study scripture. I wanted to know more theology. I wanted a solid foundation for what would be in my future. That was great. I went with people I knew. My brother was already studying there. I was thriving. But then I went to university and things changed. I was living downtown Toronto. I was surrounded by literally hundreds of thousands of people. But my problem was no one knew who I was. And even more important than that, no one, and I was convinced of it, it was true, no one cared who I was. And for the first time in my life, I was really lonely. Have you ever been lonely? It's literally one of the most difficult experiences that human beings can know. And if you've never experienced it, if you've never lived it, consider yourself blessed. Um, loneliness is one of those times in, in your life when you feel like you believe yourself to be alone. You're living your life, if you would, in isolation compared to being in relationship with others who can know you and love you and care for you and make you feel good about yourself. And in that experience, I believed I was living in isolation. I believed I was living alone, and it was miserable. Um, I was shocked about a month ago to find out that the British government, and I don't know whether it's the most recent iteration of the British government or not under Boris Johnson, but one very recently, has established a ministry of loneliness. A ministry to, to, to seek to solve this problem which is endemic in our culture of people who are living in isolation. People who are living alone. And people who, as a result, are living emotionally and physically and mentally, and I would suggest spiritually, in a very difficult place. Have you ever been lonely? Truly lonely? The reason I'm describing my loneliness, the reality of loneliness to you, is uh, that it illustrates actually in a very profound way, the core need that I want to speak to today, and that is the core need of belonging. Um, every single human being needs to belong. Uh, they need to know that, um, that they're not alone, that they're not living in isolation, that there are people in their lives who care for them. I want to say this. God created us as human beings to belong, to be cared for, to be loved. He created us to be in places of belonging, he created us to have people in our lives with whom we belong. And most importantly of all, he created us to know that we belong in God. We belong to God. And that's the question that I want to address today with you. You know, we've been thinking about Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 as our biblical model uh, in this series. Um, and how they lived this life in relationship with God where they were fulfilled, where they were happy, where they were thriving. Life was good, and they were thriving because God had created them, and they were not alone. They had one another. God at one point created Adam and said, it's not good for Adam to be alone, so he created Eve, and they had each other. God gave them a place of belonging, the Garden of Eden itself. 
But most of all, God gave these people a relationship with himself. They belonged to him. They lived in relationship with him. They knew that God loved them, and they loved God back. Life was good. There was no loneliness. There was no pain of being alone. But then sin entered into the world. If you know the story, and I'm not going to read it again today, Genesis 3 happened. And Adam and Eve sinned against God, and all of a sudden this intimate, close, loving relationship was separated. They were separated from God. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden, literally, and no longer allowed to be in that place of belonging. And even in their marriage, things started to disintegrate. Um, although they loved each other, they started to criticize and condemn one another because of what had happened and blame the other. And they began to distance themselves from one another. Do you know you can be in marriage yet still live alone? That's the example given to us here. They had this distance which kept them apart. And I want to tell you this, as I've mentioned before in, in previous Sundays, we can live in either of those two realities. We can live with a place of belonging and, and belonging in relationship with others and most importantly belonging to God and knowing it and thriving in that place. Or we can live a life um, in isolation, separated from God, one another, and even from the places that we call home. But the incredible good news is this. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of his resurrection, because, that he li because he lives today, we, every single human being born into this world, can find the forgiveness of sins, and we can be reconciled to God by faith in Christ. We can come to that place where we know in our heart of hearts that we belong to him. We can have a relationship with him that is deeply loving and real. And I want to tell you, my friends, that reality can cause our lives to thrive just as it caused Adam and Eve's lives to thrive. We can have people in our lives to whom we belong. We can have places in life where we belong. And this, of course, is what God calls us to. This is the reality <clears throat> of what he wishes for us. My focus today is on our relationship with God. My primary question is, do you have one? And secondly, do you truly know that in that relationship you are his and that he loves you? I'm going to use two illustrations of how churches do church. And I'm not going to be doing this primarily in order to talk to you about how we might do church, although there's an application there. But I want to give you two ways that people do church, and I want to ask you which of these two descriptions of church most clearly reflects the reality of God to the world and to the people of the church. So we have two graphics I'm going to show you today. <clears throat> One graphic is called the bounded set, and we'll have that projected now. This is how some folks do church. A lot of different people here from various congregations because of the baptisms today. I want you to ask yourself, in your home church, how do you do church, IPC folks? How do we do church? Let's look at it. The idea is that you belong in a bounded set church if you believe like us and if you act like us. If you believe in the things that we believe, you belong here. If you live the way we live, then you belong here. But if you don't believe like us, you don't belong. And if you don't act like us, you don't belong here either. And there, there are these lines that surround the church, and they're very definite, and they're very clear, and they're very firm, if you would. 
You know, the idea is that those people keep some folks out. People who don't believe like us can't get through the barrier. People who don't behave like us can't get through the barrier because we communicate to them, you don't belong to us. So, could be that people don't believe in Jesus, therefore you're not in, you're an out. It could be that when you get to behaviors, you know, you don't dress like us, so you don't belong here. Um, you don't speak like us, you use bad language, you don't belong here. You know, you might drink way too much or, 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 or find yourself in the, one of those circumstances where you're abusing drugs and your life's a mess. You don't belong with us because you don't behave like us. You don't behave like us because you don't base your life on the things we believe. And the reality is, in this instance, there are people who believe because of how, what they, the people who belong because of what they believe and because of how they act. But everybody else, the communication is pretty clear. You don't belong. You don't belong. Let me ask you the question. Do you think that's representative of God? Is that how God functions? Based on these rules and these regulations and these standards, these do's and don'ts, which are represented by the boundaries, so that people don't belong unless they're the way he wants them to be? Well, there's another way of doing church, and I want to illustrate it also uh, on the screen. It's called the centered set way of doing church. It's a very, very different way of looking at church and looking at a relationship with God. It looks like this. There are no barriers. You see, there's no square surrounding. There are no firm boundaries that you know, people have to get through in order to become like us, in order to belong. Belonging in this church is determined not by belief and not by behavior, but by direction and motion. Belonging in this instance is that if you are on a path toward Jesus, if you are on a path toward a relationship with God through him, if you are on a path toward believing in Jesus, if you are on a path toward the cross, you belong here. You belong here. See, in this sort of instance, it's the journey through which we are transformed. It's the journey through which we come to believe in Jesus. It's the journey that we're led to the cross and a recognition that he died on the cross for my sin and in his death, if I'll simply believe in the reality of his death for my life, you know what, I come to that place of forgiveness and acceptance in God. You move toward Jesus and life in him. And if you're on that journey, no matter how you are living, no matter what you believe, you belong here. See, in one instance... Behavior and belief come first, then belonging. In the other instance, belonging comes first, and belief and behavior follow. Now, my question for you is this, very simply. Which of those two illustrations most represents the reality of God? Which of them represents the reality of God? I want to suggest to you there's a story in the Bible uh, that really answers the questions for us. It's one of my favorite stories. If you've been here any length of time, you've heard me speak about it a time or two. It's the story of the prodigal son. This, this is a story. I'm going to read some of it to you, but because of time, not all of it. It's a story about a young man who grew up and he wanted out of his family, away from his place of belonging, away from his father and how things were done on the farm. And he said to his dad, give me my inheritance now. It was a huge offense to his dad. It was a wrong thing to do. But his father was gracious and he gave him his inheritance prior to his own death. 
And his son took off, and the Bible says that he squandered all of that money with wild living. He entered into a life, really, that uh, later on he would be ashamed of. The story goes on that he came to his senses. That's the word that is used in, in one translation. He came to his senses when all of his money was gone and his friends were gone and he was starving. And he said, you know, I want to go back to my dad. And maybe he'll make me a slave in his household because he was a father. The father was a wealthy man. Let me read to you Luke 15 and uh, tell you this story a little bit. When he, the son, having squandered all the wealth and having ended up broken and a defeated young man. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate see here's the reality my friends this son when he came home he was loved and he was accepted in spite of how he lived in spite of the egregious sin against his father in spite of living the way he had lived he came home and he walked toward think of the movement from where he was to moving back home he walked toward a place where he experienced the grace of his father he was and he to that place of belonging and his father instantly received him and welcomed him into his arms identified him as his son and they celebrated together you see, the father in this story represents God. You, many of you will know that. The father in this story is a father who just opened his arms and, and said, you belong here. You belong with me. And I'm thrilled that you're home. Well, there's an older brother in this story some of you might know. And I want you to hear his response upon hearing that his younger brother was home. It says this, Luke 15, 25 and following. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother who belongs with me, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Listen, my friends, what we see in the older brother is, is someone who is putting barriers in the way of belonging. 
Someone who was standing in the father of his presence, that the presence of his father who, was, who had opened his arms and who had welcomed the young guy home in spite of his failings and in spite of his shame, in spite of his brokenness, communicated to them, you belong with me because you're my boy. Here, the older brother stands up and he said, you know what, he hasn't lived like me. And if he hasn't lived like me, I'm not going to welcome back. He doesn't belong here. See, my friends, God is not represented by the older brother. That's not who God is. God is represented by the father in the story. And no matter who we are, no matter how far we've gone away from him, no matter how egregiously we might have sinned against God and other human beings, no matter how far we have fallen in this life, to what depths we have gone, there is a God in heaven who says to you today through his word, you belong to him. You belong to him. And because of Jesus, you and I can walk back into his presence and experience welcome and experience love and experience a God who will celebrate us coming home to him. And it doesn't matter what we have done. It doesn't matter how far we have gone. All that matters is his love for us, his desire that we would be in his embrace, his desire that we have come home to him, his desire that we're with him in relationship again. You know, what that reality is called is, is a powerful little word that so often we use, but we don't truly understand or live by, and the word is grace. God treating us not as we deserve. God having in his heart the desire to not place barriers in the way of any human being coming into his presence. God being a God who wants us to repent and walk back home to him, to move toward the cross, if you would, so that we might enter into relationship with that God, that we might instantly know his love and his forgiveness and his grace upon our lives. Do you know what the word repentance literally means? And I don't mean the theological meaning of the word repentance. Theologically, the word means to change your mind, to turn around and to think differently and to walk away from sin and to go in a new direction. But the word literally in the original language, it means, listen to me, go home. Did you know that? Go home. And, and the God of heaven that we have read about in Luke chapter 15, this God who's so profoundly illustrated for us in this text, he stands and he waits for us and he says, come home. There are no barriers. You just come home to me because you belong in my embrace. You belong in a relationship with me. And it is... Because of my love for you, I will open my arms like I did in that story and I will throw them around you and I will kiss you and I will put a ring in your finger and sandals on your feet and the best robe on your back, all signifying in that culture in that day that this son would never be a servant, what she was asking to do, or a slave, but that he was reinstated as a son in spite of what he had done. And I want to tell you, I've said it before, I'll say it again, the most important thing a human being will decide in their lifetime is if they will believe in the grace of God, if they will believe in what Jesus has done on the cross for them, if they will come home in repentance, if they will just go home 
with a heart that says to the Lord, I'm sorry for all that I've done. I'm sorry. And in that moment, find God throwing his arms around you and causing you to enter into relationship with him. So from that moment on, you get to live like Adam and Eve, lived with God in the garden before sin ever touched their lives. You will have a place of belonging in him. You will have a place of belonging among his people, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. You will be transformed in your lives, so you'll have relationships to a far greater degree where you will belong. How many of you know God is like that? If I was a betting man, I would bet dimes to dollars. There are many people in the church this morning who don't think about God that way. They think about God who is the box and who criticizes and condemns and judges people because of what they have done. And if you believe in a God like that, you do not believe in the God of the Bible. So says Luke 15 and many, many, many other locations. What does this mean for us? What does this mean? Number one, church family gathered here today, and I know we have many guests, and we're so glad to see you and have you here this morning. Number one, IPC, we must be a centered, set church and not a bounded, set church. We must be a church that places Christ and his cross at the center, and any who come among us and anyone who is walking toward it we need to open our arms and welcome them, and we need to communicate them, you belong here because you are loved, and we will express the grace of God in your life just as, as it has been expressed to us. We will accept people. And they don't have to believe like us, and they don't have to live like us, but we will accept them anyway. We will act in grace. You don't have to dress like us. You don't have to speak like us. You don't have to have the lifestyles we have. All we care about is that you're here and you're moving toward the cross. Now, IPC, let me ask you this question. What would happen? And there's reference to this in the story, of course, but what would happen if a prostitute walked in here and she was dressed like it, or he was, and everybody knew what she did or he did for a living? What would we do? Just a quick reference. It's a story in Luke also where a woman is at a, Jesus is at a banquet at a Pharisee's house, you know, the legalistic, condemning, religious kind of guy. And she sat at the feet of Jesus as he was eating and she wet his feet with her tears and she washed those feet with her hair and the Pharisee took Jesus aside and he said, if you know what kind of woman she was, you wouldn't let her touch you. Bounded set judgment. She doesn't belong here, the man was saying to Jesus. You shouldn't even let her touch you because in the touching, you are being contaminated. <laughs> you know what Jesus did? He said, this woman has been forgiven by the grace of God and one who is forgiven much loves much and one who has been forgiven little loves little. And he was being pretty firm with this religious leader, the Pharisee. He was saying, you don't know your sin, and you haven't been forgiven very much, so you don't love me very much. But this poor woman over here, and he had a compassion in his heart for her, like the father in the prodigal son's story. He says, she knows what she's done wrong, and she has repented. She has come home, and she loves me much because of the extent to which I have forgiven her as the gracious, loving God. See, the reality, people who are in the bound, it's that kind of church. It's all about behavior and belief. You have to live like me in order to be accepted here. 
they don't know it, but there's a lot of sin inside the box. They think the sin is outside the box. But there's pride and there's arrogance for which they need to repent. We're a pretty conservative crowd here, right? Biblically speaking, not, not politically. We believe the Bible and what it says to be the authoritative word of God. We don't believe in a lot of what's going on in our culture regarding sexual ethics and, and morality and practice. So I'm going to ask this question with a lot of compassion. I think you know where I'm going with it. But what happened if a transgendered person walked into our church on a Sunday morning? And he or she was obviously so. What would we do? Bounded set churches. You don't belong here. You know, we're going to judge you for who you are and what you have chosen and the way you're living because that's not how we behave here. And we would reject such a person. I want to tell you, my friends, in a centered church where somebody is in a church building, for some reason, hopefully because they want to move toward the cross, we would be like the prodigal son's dad who opened their, his arms, and we would too. And we would wrap our arms around that person and we would, by the grace of God, love them in the name of Jesus. You see the difference that I'm talking about here? And I want to tell you, my friends, we must be a church. <laughs> we must be a church which creates a place of belonging into which people might come so that someday, by the grace of God and the work of God's Holy Spirit in the, the lives of those people, they will come to know the God whom we claim to represent. We must convince them of who God is by living by grace, by giving people love they don't deserve, by giving them a place of belonging. Application number one, who will we be, IPC? Secondly, and this moves toward what I've committed to in this series, bringing application to parenting and, and to family circumstance. Um... And this might sound trite, but it is not, considering what's happened here this morning already. Parents, bring your children up in a church which gives them a place of belonging where grace re reigns supreme and where children can discover God's grace among his people. You want to find a bounded set church, you can go out outside and they're all over the place. There are a lot of people who actually think that's biblical Christianity when I hope I've convinced you this morning it's not. But my friends, if you are a parent of a little one and if you want your child to come to this place someday in life where they understand that they belong to God in spite of what they have done, bring them up in a church as parents have today committed to. Bring them up in a church where grace rules supreme where they will learn that they will be welcomed and loved in spite of what they have done that they have a place of belonging here so that someday they will come to know the god that we worship here here's a news flash for you um your children will sin you might have a lot of little ones today. I guess I'm speaking to people who have little ones here and many others. And they're cute and they're nice and they're cuddly. And they are beautiful. 
They're a gift of God, but they're born with a human nature, according to Scripture. And they have this compulsion to very easily slide away from doing what God says is right and good and blessed to doing what is wrong. I did when I was a kid. Anybody here otherwise? And they're going to grow up and become teenagers. <laughs> and if you thought they tended towards sin when they were little... <laughs> They'll probably do it even more so when they're teenagers, dealing with the reality of the pressures of this world, trying to figure out who they are and what they really believe. And before they get there, before they get to the cross, they're going to make a lot of mistakes, just like we did. And I want to tell you, my friends, in those minutes, how mom or dad or mom and dad responds is huge. Will we respond by grace. Will we be like that prodigal son's dad who when that kid who's wasted half of my wealth on prostitutes and wild living and who has bottomed out and is broken comes back home? Will we be like the dad who opens his arms and said, I'm glad you're home? And will we throw our arms around them? Will we? And will we love them? And will we communicate to them that they have a place of belonging in this home? That's Christianity, my friends. That's being like Jesus. Here's my deal. I'm going to tell you something. I have found it incredibly, much more incredibly easy to be gracious to people in this church and community than I was to my own children. You know, quite honestly, and I'm going to say this, from the bottom of my heart, um, I, I can be gracious. I bet you there are a lot of people in this world saying, if you're ever going to tell anything bad for, about yourself, never tell it to a pastor. Right? Yeah, you laugh because it's true. I can be incredibly gracious to people. There is nothing that surprises me anymore in terms of people confessing to me their sin, which happens. Even the most, uh, can I say it, horrendous stuff that people have done and they come and talk to me because they're broken and they're hurting and they need to find God in the midst of this doesn't faze me anymore. All I know in that moment is that they're telling me that they're human and that they have enough guts to be honest with me. And what I know and what I hope, at least, and what I pray is that they're on a journey they're moving back toward the cross and into the presence of the God of heaven who loves them. I can be gracious. Try me out if you want. Come and share your sins with me after the service. I'll love you anyway. But you know, when my kids were teenagers and they did something wrong, my response is, you did what? <laughs> and I wanted to like strangle them. Too often I wasn't gracious. I don't really understand that dynamic, except maybe I think I expected more of them. I don't know why. But I had to come to appreciate they're as human as me and they're as human as you. And when they make a mistake, they're just living out of the reality of what they are and what they need to do is to move toward the cross. And in the moment of their being honest with me or me discovering or me being in the midst of a realization of what they have done, the most important thing I can do for, for them is just open my arms wide 
and in their repentance, just throw my arms around them and love them. Moms and dads, grandparents, when you find out what your kids have done, what will you do? I want to tell you, to the extent that you are able, and none of us is able to do this. I kind of shocked you with this last week. What we need to do is be like God. Know that our kids are going to blow it. Know that they are going to go through a journey toward the cross. And as they're on the journey, show them grace. Let them know that as they come home in repentance, that they're welcome here and that we celebrate them and that in spite of what they have done, we still love them. You know, today we have seen children baptized into the faith. I don't know whether you all hold a reformed view of baptism or not, but one of the things baptism does, I'm kind of glad we've forgotten to put the lid back on, <laughs> but you know what baptism does uh, from a reformed perspective? It's not a profession of faith. Obviously, a little child can't do that. That comes later. They profess their faith once they've come to a personal knowledge of Jesus and, uh, and a belief in him. What this does is bring a child into the covenant community officially. It brings them into this family that calls itself the Church of Christ so that parents, and they vow to this effect, that's a significant word, they have vowed to bring their children up, leading them to the cross, if I can use the words of what we're talking about today. And we have a congregation which has vowed to pray for and love and represent Jesus to them, represent the reality of God to them, and help them move toward the cross and faith in the Jesus who once hung on it. That's what baptism is for Reformed Christians. And that we hope and we pray that a day will come when this sign and symbol that's been placed upon their heads becomes fact and reality in their lives when they confess their sin to God and invite Christ into their lives and come home to the Father to know his full loving embrace. Here's my, here's my point to you today, friends, and time is going quickly. We need to create a church family in which, into which kids are baptized uh, so that they might become an arrow pointing toward the cross. And we might, must love them and teach them and pray for them, but also be gracious toward them because as they experience the grace of God in us, there'll come a day when they'll come to understand the grace of God. And there, in that moment, their need for belonging will be satisfied fully. So IPC, let's be that kind of church. Let's be gracious as our God is gracious. And secondly, as I've said, parents, create, a, create a, an experience in which your kids grow up in grace. When they ask you to forgive them, forgive them and move on because that's what our God does. I'm going to finish this morning by reading to you Isaiah 43, 1 to the beginning of verse 3, another one of my favorite passages in the Bible. As I read about Jacob and Israel, <clears throat> excuse me, understand that's referencing you, the people of God today. We are the spiritual Israel. Um, let me read this to you now. But now, this is what the Lord says. By the way, I always love it when the text of Scripture starts that way because God wants to speak to us not only thousands of years ago 
as he spoke through Isaiah, but this is the God of eternity who wants to speak to us now. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, my people, do not fear. Do not fear me and my judgment and my condemnation. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you in the person of Jesus we see now. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel. Listen, your Savior. Are you hearing from God today, my friends? Are you understanding the nature, the true nature of biblical Christianity? You belong to him. And if you've come home to him, it doesn't matter what you've done. All he, all he does day after day after day is live with grace and love toward you, celebrating your presence in his life that we might know his joy and his love in ours. Know that you belong to God. Live it out in your lives, especially in your homes. Know the reality of this faith which we live. My friends, let's live the centered, set sort of life before God, never the bounded set, because that's not who he is. Let's know who he is. Let's live by grace, receiving it from him and showing it to others. Let's pray. Gracious God, open our minds to understand the deeper things of the faith. Free us from that legalistic, judgmental, condemning understanding of who you are, that we might be freed from being that ourselves. Gracious God, gracious God, help us to know your heart for us, we who are in Christ, we who have come to the cross and found forgiveness. Let us believe to the depth of our being that we are welcome in you, that we have been forgiven fully and completely in Christ, that you shower grace upon us, and that we belong to you. This we pray in Jesus' name.